0: In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, that's the LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb Have you ever been so mad that you had to go to the gym and take it out on a punching bag? Or maybe you needed to go to the batting cages and take a few swings at baseballs, or, my personal favorite, take a golf club to some low-hanging tree branches in the backyard. Have you ever been so mad that you punched a wall? Your own wall, maybe? What set you off? Was it a fight with a significant other or a parent? Was it frustration about a situation at work? What made you so mad that you couldn't sit still? Did it work, by the way? Did, did, did you feel better after? More importantly, were you able to take steps to fix it and keep it from happening again? Did you have the power to make that change? And, and if your anger was directed at a person or a group of people, did they tell you they felt your pain and then turn around and do the same thing again and again and again for years, for decades? What would you do? If it was your spouse, would you get a divorce? If it was your job, would you quit? If it was an abusive family member, would you cut ties? What if it was somebody you could not avoid? And what if the only thing you did to earn their ire was follow instructions and reach for your wallet? Or what if they made you crawl on a hotel floor and all you did was try to pull up your pants? What if this went on for decades and thousands of unarmed people were killed and you thought you might be next? And if you had the option to just agree to leave each other alone, you would have taken it. You would have taken it a thousand times. You would have taken it, but that's not an option. Would that be enough to make you angry? Would that be enough to make you punch a wall? I hope this doesn't sound like I'm condoning violence. I'm not, not in any fashion. Violence is the problem I'm hoping that we are addressing here. I don't, and it's important to state this part clearly, what I'm about to talk about is separate from violence, and it seems like we need to be reminded of this part. I don't understand setting buildings on fire. I don't understand looting. I don't understand destruction of property if the hope is to get the public on your side. But I do understand being angry. I do understand the feeling that after trying and trying and trying to get someone on my side, The only response I get is, are you sure it's not your fault? I understand desperation. If you've been watching the news this week and your response is, I'm against racism, but I don't understand why these people are rioting. I'd like to ask you to do two things. One, don't allow the actions that you don't understand to be your excuse from looking with big, clear eyes at the root of the issue. And two, I'd like to ask you to flip that statement around. I just don't understand why these people are rioting, but I am against racism. Now you've put the important part where it belongs. Now, what are you going to do about it? Welcome to the Hit Show.
1: Frustration and sadness. Um, it's a strange, crazy, weird, uh, almost um, out of body experience time right now going on. Um, so I appreciate your words. Um, not sure how we transition to baseball, but maybe we don't for a minute and just talk about you know, where things are. Obviously it's a volatile time. People are talking about it, um, which in my opinion is a good thing. I mean, I have a almost nine and seven year old had a 30 minute conversation. (laughs) Sorry. And bald to talk about this. Um, so yeah, it sucks. It sucks. Um, it, you don't, you don't know what to say. You feel terrible. Um, it's, you see people hurting and it just sucks. Um, I didn't have anything prepared or written like you, but, um, it's real and it's real for a lot of people and man, it just breaks your heart to see so much divide and so much misunderstanding. I think that's what's so hard, but hopefully if people can have, you know, honest and frank conversations that are comfortable, I think it helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is something that has been, um, on my mind for years when I was on tour in 2015 we or 2014 I had a day off in St. Louis and it just so happened to be near the end of when those riots were happening there and I just and this is probably very misguided and audacious but I just walked right into Ferguson and tried to figure out what I could do to help and the conversations that I had as we were you know, cleaning up around some of the businesses, um, the conversations that I had with people were eye opening. And some of the things that they said were unbelievable to me. And then I looked up the specific names that they gave me of, of, you know, police officers that were planting drugs in cars and eventually got busted for it, but ruined so many lives, uh, on the way, you know, before they were caught. And it was, it was like a paradigm shift to me because you want to believe, because I know law enforcement officers who are good people. I know I am, I am not saying that all, you know, I'm not, I think blanket statements are dangerous anyway, but I'm not making the blanket statement like, Oh, all cops are bad. That's not where I am, but there are enough. And these things that seem unbelievable that, that there could be peaceful protesters who law enforcement officers trap in. It's it's circle around them and then shoot tear gas at them. And so any way they run, they're running at a police officer. So they're a threat. And so they are arrested or beaten or and sometimes, sometimes killed. And these things are unbelievable until you see them.
1: Yeah. And and to me, yeah, I know. And I I hear what you're saying. And I feel like, yeah, I, we, I don't think it's the majority of police officers. I don't think it's the vast majority of police officers um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable going down the whole, I, I don't know the numbers. I don't, whatever. Um, I just know that we have a problem with racism yes. in this country. So I'm not even talking about police officers. Like to me, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the statistics. I do know that I've seen the George Floyd video and it makes me want to vomit, vomit. And so, you know, I, I don't, I can't speak to anything beyond that. Um, but all I know is I, I don't understand what it's like to be a person of color in this country and this time, uh, and I never will as, as hard as I try, as much as I want to understand. But if you, if you, if you honestly think that there's not an issue in this country, a, a race issue, if you honestly feel like there are equal, equal rights for all people, like you're, I'm sorry. Like you just don't, I don't <laughs> rarely speak in absolutes like this, but, you're, you're turning a blind eye. There's absolutely an issue. There's absolutely a problem. Um, and, and it's something that we, as, as white people have got to try to understand better.
0: And so for me, the question becomes, well, what do I do? What is, what's my action here? Because for me to admit that is one thing. Um, and I, I don't have a good answer. I guess if I, if there's an action statement here is to ask people to just take that time and examine for yourself and do, do research and read black authors and listen to black voices and find out what, what the action step is.
1: So this is what I told my kids yesterday, my you know, almost seven and nine. And I told them, you know, it's, it's not enough to be, you know, they talked about, well, we we're, we have, you know, friends that look different than, than us and we're nice to them. And I'm like, I, I get that. And that's awesome. But that's not enough. Mm-hmm. We have to stick up for people who need us to stick up for them, yes. and right now that's that's where we are. And so, um, you know, and they, they asked a lot of great questions, and I was, you know, I probably. I may have exposed them to too much at their age, but at this point, I don't care. I would rather them be armed with that information and know very early on where we stand as a family, Mm -hmm. where we stand as it, you know, as Christians and all that kind of, I want them to know that this, if there's ever a doubt, this is what, this is what we're about and this is what we stand for and this is what we're going to do. Um, and so that's, and you, cause you do, you feel helpless. And so for me, it did make me feel good to just have that conversation, like a very pointed, blatant conversation. I mean, I told them he was killed by, because a police officer put his knee on his neck for nine minutes and he suffocated to death. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that's a harsh thing for a nine and a seven year old to hear, but I wanted them to understand because they asked why are, why are the, these people breaking things? And you know, throwing bricks through windows. And I was like, this is why. And so you try to explain the best you can. But then I told him, I don't have all the answers. But what I do want you to know is, is that we're going to be kind to everyone. We're going to treat everyone with respect. We don't, we're not better than anyone else, regardless of any circumstance, where we live, the cars we drive, what grades you make, any of that. But it's not enough to just be kind to everyone. You have to stick up and you have to speak up for people who need it. And right now there are friends that need that. And so we need to do that. So anyway sorry, I got all emotional. No,
0: I'm glad you did. I think if you're not emotional at this point, you're not paying attention. Um, I got my tears out when I was writing and I was able to hold it together later. So,
1: yeah, I probably should have written some things down so I wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten all sappy. But anyway, it is an emotional topic, topic obviously, um, as it should be. Um, but we, we, we can't, we, we're not going to, Dwell on this. I mean, not, not dwell on it, but we're not going to spend the whole episode talking. Right.
0: There's actual baseball news this week.
1: There is. Uh,
0: if not, there is, if not specific news. Rangers news, there's at least baseball news. The Players Association gave their counter proposal. They suggested playing 114 games at a full prorated uh, salary. And then, short version, the owners came back and said, okay, fine. We will pay a full prorated salary, but we want to have a season that is about 50 ish games long. So, you got to think that's going to get negotiated back, and I think probably will end up somewhere in the range of seventy to eighty games. Um, but hearing owners agree to play a to pay a prorated salary is uh that's encouraging. I feel like that's a step in the right direction. How are you feeling about it?
1: Yeah, I do feel like it's a step in the right direction. I mean, I think that the whole for the owners to come back with like a fi- proposed fifty game schedule. I mean, don't you think that's? I mean. Come on. I mean, no one thinks that's really going to happen, but it does set up nicely for them to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, But are the owners willing to pay the prorated salary for 82 games?
0: Yeah. I don't know. What is the number for you that you go, what's the the lowest number that you would go where you would say, "Ah, it's, it's not worth it? Forget it. If that's all we're going if we're only gonna play X games, then just forget it.
1: I would say under eighty. Okay. I mean, you're talking about maybe seven. I mean, I guess that could be seventy. Would give it simplicity. I'm trying to think. So you got how many? You got five teams in your division. So you're talking about.
0: Well, would there be divisions at this point? I mean, I think no, it'd be a restructured thing. Yeah, I I've thought a lot about this the last couple of days. I think seventy is that number for me. I think if it's fewer than seventy games, then what are we putting the players at risk for? I could live with seventy. Yeah,
1: yeah, I could live with seventy. And then you're talking about how many three game series would that be? Twenty ish. Twenty. Twenty-three. Twenty-three and a third. Three game yeah. series. Yeah. Um. I think that that gives you a good healthy sampling of yeah. it.
0: Yeah, and the, the other, well I guess they have decided now if they're gonna do this, it will be at home stadiums, is that right? Or for most clubs it'll be at home stadiums, for states that are not open yet they'll be at, I guess, spring training facilities? Do we know this yet? Yeah, that would make the most sense. Okay. So you also gotta wonder with, with those teams in spring training facilities, if there would be, yeah, there's, there will be enough teams playing in their home stadium that they would still do like three game series. I was wondering if there's a chance that they revert back to something of a spring training schedule where they're playing a different team every day. But I think there are enough teams that will, that would be playing in their home stadiums that it makes sense to go ahead and do the, the three and four game series as usual.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. Um, but I mean, I think we're going to know that it, this is going to, by the time we talk again next Tuesday, as we tape on Tuesdays, mm-hmm. um, we're going to know. Yeah. Cause I, I talked to, I talked to a little birdie on Sunday and he and he said, well, you'll know, we'll know early this week. Um, meaning this week. Okay. Um, how, if it's going to, if it's going to go down.
0: Well, in that case,
1: I think because at this point we're reaching, we're reaching like nut cutting time where, where people are like, okay, we don't have the time to go, you know, play tiddly winks back and forth. I mean, we got to get real S going. Um, So we can't do this. And plus, every day that goes by is a, a more awful look for the league as a whole.
0: The Last Dance documentary has brought up the ongoing debate that no one will ever win. Is Michael Jordan the greatest of all time? Is LeBron the greatest of all time? One thing we do know for sure is Manscaped is the greatest of all time for men's grooming. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 water-resistant cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when we're done quarantining. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. We should get to our conversation with Corey Brock and then we can let producer Chris get this show out. So that it's out before there's a decision made and an announcement made. Um, let's, uh, let's get to our conversation. And uh, uh, this is part of our Around the Division series. It, it concludes today. We've talked to uh, Fabian Ardaya, our Angels writer. We've talked to Alex Coffey, our A's writer. We've talked to Jake Kaplan, our Astros writer. And now we conclude uh, with the final part of our series, Corey Brock from the Seattle Mariners. Man, Corey, weird week to be talking about baseball. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, I guess by recent standards, there is a lot of baseball news, but also there's a lot of non-baseball news that is, um, I think, more important as well. So, pardon me if I sound distracted, and if my questions are stupid, I'm sorry. Um, how? Let me let me start here. Have you been watching the um, the series that they did on SB Nation about the Mariners? The like five part series.
2: Yeah, I'm about halfway through it, Levi, and it is wildly entertaining. Um and you know, I'm, you know, someone who grew up in the Northwest, um and I also had the distinction of being old. I remember all of this because I grew up watching games in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I'm, you know, very intimately familiar with the um this franchise for better or worse, uh, a lot of dark days early on. And I think that's detailed pretty well in the series, but it's been a real hoot. There's been some stuff on there that uh, has surprised me. Uh, some things I didn't know about and generally the, the big takeaway so far. And again, I'm not all the way through it is it's just uh really, really well
0: done. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there were a few things that I was not familiar with either, but, um, but man, what uh, do you think of the jello? The Jello that one, was, Levi. That was the one I was thinking. I had never heard of that before, and had to go do some more research on it. Um, Emily, if you're not familiar, there was what was what was the manager's name? Ah, um, uh, R- Rene Latchman. Yeah, yeah Rene Latchman. When he was managing the the Mariners, at one point went back to his hotel room, and everything was taken out of the room, and his hotel or his yeah hotel toilet was just filled with Jello, and it was this big mystery for a while. Um, Baseball was fun back then, wasn't it? Just all the...
1: So, okay, wait. Okay. You, I have not watched this. Okay. Um, but now it makes me want to, um, just for the sheer fact that I want to know more about the Jello toilet story. So can you at least give me a little bit more Corey, on Corey, you've,
0: you've watched it more recently than I have. Why don't, why don't I let you take it away? Take it away.
2: Yeah, it was... uh oh, Boy, you talk about a long con here where... Um, it was kind of a running joke with some teammates, and I, I'm probably butchering this story um, pretty well here. But uh, the team was on the road, and they were basically trying to pull one over on the manager. Um, and so they, uh, someone snuck into his room, one of the players, and uh, essentially stuffed Jello in the toilets, and then took the mouthpiece off the hotel phone. So when Latchman got to his room and noticing Jello everywhere. You know, he's trying to call down the front desk and, uh, they can't hear him. And, uh, so L- Latchman made it his personal vendetta to try and figure out who did this all year. Right. And,
1: uh, so it was no, like, there's multiple jello toilet incidents.
2: I think it, it was Levi it was the, the toilet was the mo- most notable, but I think yeah, there, there were was. other okay. things. Yeah. There were, there were other things. A yeah.
1: series of pranks. Yeah. A serial yeah, yeah. pranker.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, it just kind—I of, think it kind of drove him crazy. Um That you know, certainly he certainly had enough on his hands with trying to manage a very bad team at that point. But <laughs> he also trying to get to the bottom of who uh, who had pulled over this elaborate prank, and uh, they couldn't get anybody to confess to it until the very end of the year. And apparently, they all shared a laugh about it. But like, yeah, Levi, to your point earlier. Yeah, we're not getting, like, cool pranks like this anymore. I mean, regardless of the situation we're in today. But baseball in general, like, we're missing out on all that. We don't have cool nicknames anymore. We don't have elaborate pranks. We just kind of have games, which is cool in itself. But I feel like we're uh, uh, the bygone era is something that uh, we could all certainly use right now.
1: And right now we don't even kind of have games.
0: Right. (laughs) We don't have anything. So it
1: really sucks. (laughs)
0: Uh. So, Corey, let's let's go back to last year a little bit with the Mariners. There was they came out they came out to such a, a hot start and um there were a lot of people saying that maybe that was smoke and mirrors and pretty soon the Mariners themselves decided to prove that it was smoke and mirrors. Um what 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 what's the direction of this team right now? Are they in a rebuild? Are they What's happening?
2: Yeah, they, um, and they've been very transparent about this. Uh, it was after the 2018 season, um, a season that went, went, you know, pretty well for them. They were in first place for a while, but the A's, um, I think we all remember that run they had in the second half and, uh, passed the Mariners and the Mariners are standing there and they're kind of looking at a aging roster, a very expensive roster. And trying to figure out maybe do we have one more year to make a run with this or maybe we scale back, move some assets, um, you know, take a step back to maybe take two steps forward and uh, go through a rebuild, not a tear down, but a rebuild. And so they moved some assets, made some trades, acquired some interesting minor league players. Their minor league system is much better today than it was, uh, two, three years ago, uh, notably better. I think they have some of the top prospects in the game, not top ten guys necessarily, but you know very well represented on on those top one hundred lists so what what they were looking at, Levi it was a situation with twenty twenty as being a, a sort of an evaluation period. We're gonna give these young guys who have made it to the big leagues already um, an opportunity to show whether they are truly gonna be important cogs for this rebuild moving forward. Um, it's essentially a, a big evaluation period that now, um, you know, who knows if we'll get baseball, if we get a truncated season, which looks like it could happen, the evaluation window will be much smaller. So it will set the rebuild back some, but they feel pretty good about the direction they're going. And really I think it's been universally embraced by the fans in the Northwest who have just sort of been fed up and put off by what's happened here. You know, baseball is kind of a also ran in Seattle these days, certainly behind the Seahawks, uh, university of Washington football, uh, the Seattle Sounders won the MLS cup. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I like to joke that the non-existent NHL team that they're getting, I believe in a year is more popular than the Mariners at this point. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001. It's the longest, you know, longest current, uh, non-post-season drought of any North American professional sports team. That's quite an albatross to carry, right? But I think they felt like this was really the only path that they could take. It doesn't mean it's going to work out, but truly this is maybe the only route they can go now is to build up from within and uh, when the opportunity comes, if it comes, they could certainly augment the roster externally. But I think they felt like this was the only way they could, uh, you know, have a chance to eventually compete and maybe get back to the postseason.
1: Okay. So I'm, I'm a big, big player with the, uh, the leadership card and the way that a clubhouse is run and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, stats and analytics people love to poo poo. But it, after being around this game for, you know, 17, 18 years now, um, I've seen the value in that. And so when I, when a club is going through a rebuilding process like this, and we saw it with the Astros and kind of, you know, Jose Altuve emerging as that leader during that entire time. And, and now is who is that guy for this team who will be, you know, kind of the, the quote unquote alpha dog in, in that clubhouse.
2: Yeah, and that's, uh, maybe it's kind of a shared, uh, responsibility for them because the clubhouse is trending toward, uh, having mostly younger guys who really aren't in a position where they've, uh, probably feel like they've accomplished enough at the big league level to take a leadership role. Um, but there's Marco Gonzalez, uh, left-handed pitcher who's been very good for Seattle the last few years. He's kind of a quiet leader. Um, but I think people understand, um, what he does to prepare himself and uh, can, uh, and watch when he talks and how he measures his words and, uh, gets a point across. I think they also have pretty good leadership, um, up top, even uh, with the coaching staff and, uh, most notably at the top with Scott Service, who is, um, really has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the clubhouse. And I think, and I, Emily, I think you bring up a good point. I think, you know, a lot of fans really don't understand the dynamic of leadership. Um, You know, they want to judge these managers. And maybe it's fair. Maybe it's not on wins and losses, right? You know, that, that these guys aren't the ones pitching out there. They're not the ones, you know, grinding through a tough at-bat in the seventh inning. And, you know, I, I seem to think that most of these big league managers can manage a big league game. They've been around long enough. They understand the inner workings, when to pinch hit, you know, when to double switch in the National League. For me, it's what's on behind closed doors, some of the things that we're not <laughs> But I think that's where Scott Service, who has a player development background, uh, not just with his time with the Rangers, certainly, but with the Angels, uh, understands what makes players tick. And players are a lot different now than they were 10 to 20 years ago. They're a lot more inquisitive. They want to know about process um you know they're they're not just taking orders and marching forward they you know they players are taking ownership of their career much more so than they ever have um throughout the history of baseball and um I think uh, that's something that the Mariners uh really encourage and they encourage questions and they don't mind them they don't run from them so I think you know the the leadership model uh and the culture they have is good. Um, and you know, that extend, that starts with the manager and it extends into the clubhouse. But yeah, a lot of these young guys, they're still kind of finding their way, right? They're trying to get comfortable in the big leagues. They're trying to win jobs. What's the saying? Uh, the the hardest thing isn't getting to the big leagues. It's staying there. So I think a lot of these guys are trying to find their footing, but I think a lot of them look up to Marco Gonzalez and certainly a lot look up to the manager.
0: I have a question. I know I'm taking you back a year and a half on this now, but. Hearing you talk about the direction of the club after the 2018 season, um, were the were the Mariners the ones actively shopping Robinson Cano, or was that just a deal that presented itself? And they're like, okay, well, you know what, this is a really good. I mean, that contract that that he was under at the age that he was, um, with all of the the PED things that had gone on in 2018, it sucked at the time to lose Edwin Diaz, which. I guess, based on last year, ended up not being a huge problem anyway. But but was that one of those sort of opportunities where they just had to go ahead and, man, we've got a shot to get rid of Cano's contract here. We've got to do that, even if it means that it sends us into this rebuild, or was that kind of the plan all along?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't think, honestly, as they're wrapping up the two thousand. 18 season um you know a lot of these conversations about the rebuild started in that final month where they're kind of trying to weigh their options do we go for it one more year or do we tear this thing down a little bit and try and build it back up i don't think levi there was ever a scenario where they honestly thought that they could move um cano who still you know had five years and 120 million dollars left on that 10-year deal that he signed uh, in december of 2013 just because you know I don't think they thought that they could find a reasonable taker or anyone who would be interested in taking certainly not all of that money, which the Mets didn't, but even a majority of it. Um So I think they were very surprised and, you know, found one trade partner, which is all you really need. And, um, you know, and, and we're able to move him to the Mets, who certainly their dynamic and what they were trying to do um it was far different than what Seattle was trying to do. And maybe, you know, I won't say took advantage of, uh, Mets General Manager Brody Van Wagenen, but, you know, um, you know, Brody was certainly as a history with Robinson Cano, who sort of served as his, uh, as his agent at the time when he signed that deal along, um, with, uh, Jay-Z's Rock Nation. So I think, um, found a, a partner there. They were able to expand the deal and, and got some really interesting pieces, but, you know, I think they, they liked Cano. They, they thought, I think, you know, the first, you know, five or so years of that contract and you talk about living up to a contract. I mean, I don't, that's a lot to put on a guy for that signs a $240 million deal, but I think he was, he was good. He was good for Seattle and you saw him enough. And I think, you know, I think he's still a good player. And I think, um, what is he? I don't know. He's 36 now, uh, 37, but, um, they saw that opportunity and they went for it and there was no looking back. And they are so very happy with uh, the pieces they got in return. Most notably outfielder Jared Kelnick, um, the young uh, left-handed hitting outfielder who we think uh, or thought was going to maybe creep into the big leagues at some point this year. But um yeah, I don't think they ever you know, could ever fathom that they could make this deal, but when it was presented to them and they had an opportunity, uh
0: they went for it, even if it meant
2: including Edwin Diaz.
0: Yeah. Knos 37 will be 38 in October, by the way. Um, yeah. And yeah, if you can't find a reasonable fill in the blank, you might as well try the Mets because they're the Mets.
2: Yeah, I want to see that ballpark. Oh, yeah.
1: Don't so we all? Do yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, hopefully soon. Hopefully yeah. soon.
2: I hope, I hope you guys are doing well and, and, and hanging in there. And, um, I know you guys, you guys all have children, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I have six year old twin boys, so they are kind of climbing the walls, but I think sometimes I feel like the kids do better with all of this than, than we do. I don't know how you guys feel about it.
1: Yeah, they do. I think they're very much more, much more adaptable than we are, um, And, um, and obviously aren't, aren't privy to near as much. So ignorance is bliss in certain cases.
0: Thank God for animal
2: crossing. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, bud. We appreciate it.
0: Take care. Yeah, guys. Have a good day. Most of our listeners are in and around the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So what better way to promote your business than through our show? Our listeners are loyal and engaged just like you. So what better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast? To advertise on this very show, just go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you can fill out a very simple form and we'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast today.